Did you um, did you remember daylight savings time this morning? I did actually. Um, I was up late like I normally am and just set the <laughs> clocks um, <laughs> when it happened. So <laughs> I don't know why we do this to ourselves. <laughs> Hello friends, and welcome to So Poetry. Uh, this is season four, episode four, um, and my guest today is, I would consider you an old poetry acquaintance. Um, not like, I mean, we talk, we have talked some, but I, have no, I feel like I've known you for a fairly long time. But anyway, it's uh, Lindsay Lesby. Um, so do you want to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about um, who you are and what you're up to. Sure. Um, so, um, as you said, my name is Lindsay Lesby. Um, I am a poet. Uh, I am a letterpress printer. And I, for my day job, am an arts administrator. Um, so, my uh, official titles are assistant director of the Rose O'Neill Literary House at Washington College, um, which is a teeny tiny liberal arts college on the eastern shore of Maryland. Um, in my capacity as assistant director of the Rosa Neal Literary House, I am also assistant editor of the Literary House Press and uh, managing editor of Cherry Tree, which is our national literary journal, um, an annual publication that we put out every year. So you are pretty much just ensconced in like the literary stuff for both your like personal creative stuff and day job stuff. Yeah, which seems like a pretty ideal situation, um, but it is really exhausting. <laughs> um, yeah. but, but I do consider myself very lucky um, in that I get to do what I get to do for a paycheck. Um, not a large paycheck, but, um, but it pays the bills. So, um, so do we're past um, assistant directors of the literary house also... Like, is, is that position, if you're in that position, does that, that means that you are also, like, the assistant editor and the managing editor? Or did you, like, coalesce those sort of disparate positions into a, a singular entity? Uh, well, um, past assistant directors were the assistant editor of the Literary House Press. Mm -hmm. uh, although, before I started... Um, not, not that I'm taking credit for it, but before I started, the press was kind of um, on hiatus. Like, it wasn't really doing mm. much. Um, but my boss at the time, uh, Jean Dubrow, who is an amazing all-around human, um, she was in the process of revitalizing the press and giving it a new mission statement and actually trying to produce... Um, literary works through the press um so uh i just came on at a really good time um and then uh together um along with a, a few of our other colleagues we founded uh oh. um so that that is a, a is a new position 
um, that did not exist before I was. Gotcha. Huh. I didn't, I didn't realize that, uh, cherry tree was that recent of a, um, of a publication. Yes, uh, we just uh, released our fifth issue. Um, excuse me, my cat is going to keep making that noise unless I let him out of the room. So, go ahead, buddy. Go. All right. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. Um, yeah, so we just released our fifth issue. We were founded in 2014. Okay. Um, and we've been going strong ever since. We've had to build everything from scratch, and it's it's been... It's been a really fun ride, um, especially considering it's a it's a print publication. So it's um, there there are definitely different aspects to um, what you would need to run an online publication, which I love online publications. Um, it's it's just a it's just a different different sort of deal. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that like money. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I imagine that like having to having to build in the like the production time and the the extra steps of those proofs and you know like making sure that when things go cuz i so i'm assuming that because you just put out the fifth issue that it's an annual publication right yes it okay. is um but i mean i still imagine that that having the the crunch of that sort of deadline where well, I, this is totally speculation because I've I've not had a whole lot of uh, experience with online publications. But I imagine that like throughout the process, even if you're going to like press or you're going to publication, there's still things that you could probably tweak because it's an online right. system. Right. It, it's digital files that I assume because again, I have not worked on a digital <laughs> publication. But you can go back and edit. Right. Um, yeah. That's after like after it's gone to publication, after it's gone to press. Right, yeah, um, it's like if someone someone notices a, a typo or, you know, there's some formatting issue, you can go in and just fix that versus with print publication that all there's a an added pressure of getting all of that stuff correct before it goes out of your hands and you're just like, well, I hope we did a good job because, yeah. you know, we're going <laughs> to... then there's nothing you can do. <laughs> right, yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, we do um, a lot of proofreading um, over a very short production timeline. Um, and we try to squeeze this in uh, because we, we work um, we work out of a, uh, an undergrad program. Um, we try to squeeze this in before we all go on Christmas break. Um, oh. Mostly for my sanity, um, because I don't want to be worrying about this. I want to be able to enjoy my week and a half off of work. Um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we cram the all of the um, the proofreading into basically a week and a half. Um, but we're not doing nine to five work at that point. It's it's just whatever whatever it takes to get it done. Um, <laughs> So my schedule's a little crazy during that time. Um, and the longer the issue, the crazier I feel because it takes longer to get it done. Yeah. Um, and although, you know, I, I am a poet, so I have a, I have a particular predilection for poetry, but damn prose is hard to edit. <laughs> I mean, not, not difficult in a philosophical sense, but 
it takes so much longer than editing poetry just because of the length of the word count. Right. So, and there's and, also like the, the, the issue of like you have a narrative that you have to get across versus poetry, which, you know, may or may not have a narrative, but I feel like it's easier that with, with poetry, you know, it's like, does this support the sort of emotional or the, like the poetic truth happening here? And, you know, on most, well, most of the stuff that I've, I've come across recently, um, just sort of out in the world is, you know, like maybe a page, half a page, somewhere between there versus like a short story that's like, you know, maybe six, seven pages long that there's, yeah. there's all these extra considerations that you have to take to, to make sure that it's edited, that it's on par editing wise and revision wise as the rest of the, the rest of the stuff. Yes. Well, and, and sometimes our, the, the max that we'll take is 25 pages of prose. So those are oh really God. monstrous. <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> but they have to be really good for us to take some. <laughs> um, but those are like, we, we had, we had one that length in this last issue and it is a super, super good piece. Um, but editing that was really trying of my patience <laughs> just because you know just you have your natural attention span and after a while you are you are just you don't know how to stretch that attention span anymore yep. um but you do because you have to yeah um and then in addition to the the length issue um with poetry there's so much you can get away with um as far as like grammatical correctness mm -hmm. um you don't have to follow all of the rules that say that prose really does um our so our um guidebook is uh mla style um and uh miriam webster is our is the dictionary that we use for uh spelling and and usage correctness um and i mean with with poetry it's more like just a suggestion <laughs> Um, so, so it's totally cool if, I mean, it's, we do not make changes unless any of the writers approve those changes. Mm -hmm. Um, but we'll feel a little more strongly about the edits that we suggest for prose because the edits that we're suggesting are for clarity of the actual sentence structure. Right. Um, and for correctness, um, grammatically, um, or in terms of punctuation usage or something like that. Like there is a, a, a correct way and an incorrect way. Right. Um, whereas with poetry, you can just really do whatever you want as long as you have some sort of reasoning to back it up. Right. Um, and it doesn't have to be based on anything but your own personal preferences. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or that, like, that there is a certain like internal logic to the poem itself that even if you have like yes. a series of like three three poems like in a collection that happen chronologically or spatially one after another each mm -hmm. one can have its own inherent um reasoning for it or its own yeah, internal from each other right yeah um as long as the the poem itself backs up that logic right um, yeah so hmm. it's 
poetry is crazy. <laughs> do you do you find that um, like laying out prose is easier than laying out poetry for? Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, well, and I was just dealing with this. Um, my my first book is coming out in June. And I just got proofs for that from the publisher. So I'm on the other end of it this time. Um, and when you um, when you take some uh, a text that is laid out in, in one font in the manuscript stage or submission stage and you change it to uh, the different font that the, you're going to use for publication, the character widths change. Mm -hmm. So the the placement changes the the size of your tabs the size of your spaces are different and so um it 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 all depends on the poem like some i will correct that i corrected the spacing saying like you know um this this one line ends here and the next line is drop down from that so it has to end like just a few spaces after visually mm -hmm. um but the others it's more like you're just creating a sort of stair step sort of uh, visual on the page. So it doesn't matter what the size of the tabs are as long as they're consistent. Right. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's strange from poem to poem. And of course, every poet has their own um, preferences when they're laying it out on the page. Some, some poets just, everything is left aligned and um, straightforward. And that's great. That's super easy. Um, except when the lines are longer than the margins allow for. And then it gets a little fucked up yep. <laughs> when they start running over on the next line. And there are standard ways for dealing with that. Mm -hmm. um, introduce indent. Um, but that, it all depends on the intent of the poet. Um, if if that still screws with the visual right. that they're trying to create yep. of um, these like even couplets or something. Um, and then you, you end up with this, this jaggedness that they, that they weren't... Um, they were not intending, then uh, then sometimes they'll consider uh, breaking their lines differently. That's something that we offer um, to our contributors in Cherry Tree. Like when they get their proofs, um, if the if the margins are screwy and they they their poem does not fit the way it fit on the manuscript page, um, we don't offer the the flip it sideways um, <laughs> version where they can. Um, have their their poem set landscape on the page because um, we just we just don't like that aesthetically. Um, we we do allow them to change um, their line breaks if they choose to. Oh. That's a very personal decision because line breaks themselves have their own their own purpose um, within the the poem itself, and that changes from poet to poet, from poem to poem. So yeah. Yeah, there is the the second book that I published with my press. Um, most of the poems were um, like short in length, but also short in line width, except mm -hmm. for like two of them towards the end. And I was able to get everything else in like the in the format with you know like the what I felt was appropriate spacing sort of everywhere. Mm -hmm except for these last two poems. It's like, I don't know what the hell, and it would be like, there's, I think, I think one of them had two lines and the other one maybe had one line that were just, that didn't work with the margins. And it's like, I have no idea what the fuck to do to make yeah. these things work. And then yeah. after like a week of agonizing over it, I don't know 
what I was looking at, but I, I picked up just a like a uh, like a Norton anthology collection of poetry and just thumbing through it, and then I saw the the running indent, and I was like, oh my god, I totally forgot that this is a thing that I can do with this line. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's really hard, especially when you're um, when you're not thinking of it as an editor, you're thinking of it as the poet. Like you, you're not thinking of all of those those um, standards and possibilities. Um, because it's so personal you're just thinking of like oh my god my my poem is getting fucked up and i don't know how to save my baby yeah um yeah there's so much of poetry is and and i think a lot of non-poets don't realize this um is is visual as as well as as oral as textual mm-hmm. um prose with very few exceptions is is strictly textual yeah um so and i think i think playing with the way um a poem appears on the page um like it's it's a a a term that i a personal term that i like to use um when i like add a lot of extra spacing between lines or if i have them um spaced around um, horizontally on the page a little bit differently is I, I feel like it's intuitive. Like I feel like they need more air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, need, they just need more breathing room between them, the, the, the words and the lines. Um, and other poets get that. But um, I, I think people who write prose are just like, what, what are you doing? What is this witchcraft? I don't understand this. And this makes no sense. And you're just crazy. Um, when when you add the like the, either the horizontally some of the extra space or like between lines or between stanzas, do those have a standard like when you if you were to read it aloud, do those have a standard like amount of breath or amount of pause that you give them, or when you read them, do you sort of more or less disregard visually how they would look and just read the line as if as if they were like next to each other? I. I tend to read my poetry in a very prose-like way, um, but there, there's, there's still, there's just that visual aspect that, like, I need that on the page. Mm-hmm. When it's read out loud, it, it can, it can do whatever it wants to do, um, but on the page, like, if it's too cramped together, mm-hmm. it doesn't, like. Uh, that that poem feels completely different to me than the s- exact same text, the exact same line breaks, just spaced out a little bit more. Hmm. So, and I I do not know why. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's yeah it's it's just a personal preference of mine. I um, um I when I when I lay out books for the, for my press, I tend to put a whole lot of uh, letting between the lines just because there's there is there is something some some sort of like intangible quality that looking at a at a collection of poetry that the lines are you know like like it's comparable to maybe like 1.5 spacing in like word instead of you know like double spacing would be too much single space is a little too close there just needs to be a little bit of like Something. A tiny bit there. Yeah. 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 Hmm. yeah you... so it's not like vacuum packed in there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because it does, it does change. I think, 
I think for me, it's an issue of wanting to have the ability that I can hang out on a line or hang out on a word and not feel like the poem itself is like forcing me to go on that there's sort of built in. Yeah, you're not being rushed. Yeah, there's, there's built in contemplative space around this thing so that like, if you don't need it, that's great. You can keep going. But there's like having that space, it feels like it's, it's the, the acknowledgement of the poem itself to be like, you know, if you need to, you can kind of hang out here for a little bit. No worries, no rush. The rest of the poem will be there when you get to it. But, you know, if you need this, it's there. That is that is such a good way to put that. And yes, that makes so much sense. I, I definitely think that goes into my whole intuitive decision making when <laughs> when I'm uh, working on those those different spacings. Um, but yeah, like poems need that. It, I don't know. And yeah. of course, again, it all depends on the poem, on the poet. But, um, yeah, in general, like, that's that's my preference. Like, words need some space. <laughs> yes, I agree. Um, have, you, have you ever heard uh, Lee Young Lee read any of his poetry? I haven't, no. So I don't, I don't know if, he's, if he does this for all of his poetry. Um, I, have a, I have a suspicion that he does, but there's a, um, there's a poem of his that I really, really love that's from... Oh, crap. Um, I think it's from... Mm, fuck, I don't remember what collection it's from. It's not... <laughs> I don't think it's Book of My Nights. Whatever. It's, it's, the name of the poem is uh, Have You Prayed? And there is a recording of it on uh, poetry.org. And it's, it was astounding to me the first time that I heard him read it. Because the poem is, I don't know like a page in a quarter maybe page and a half um mm -hmm. and it reads like me reading it you know by myself it reads fairly quickly but when you listen to him read it every every comma every period every line break every stanza break has a certain amount of like breath or pause that he gives it so yeah. and that's it's consistent throughout the, the entirety of the poem so even that's <laughs> so like there will be it's like it's it's somewhere between him reading it as if each line is like in stopped because there's this little and it between that and like full and jamming where you just kind of keep going there's there's a little yeah. bit of like a pause that he gives it between each line and then like doubly so between each stanza and I was like this is a, I I never it made me more aware of like to to give the the sort of sonic incarnation of a work the same like a similar feeling as the as the visual as on like, the page. Yeah, as yeah. like the visual textual incarnation of it. That there's a I don't know, there's a level of like um sameness or equanimity that, that it can exist between both of them. It's like this is I don't know. It yeah. was it was not something that I'd ever considered before hearing him read it. I was like, this, this totally, I mean, it's not something that I've really, um, it's something that I'm more aware of now, but I've not really, I haven't super incorporated that into my, into my own work, but it's at least something that when I'm working on a poem, um, I'm aware of like, given this line break, like how might somebody read this? And that has occasionally changed some of my line breaks right. to get like, someone who isn't there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that, or that if I want a line 
to exist or an image to exist in its totality, like I keep that to a line or I might break it and give it its own line to, to keep that unit mm -hmm. of like breadth or that unit of measurement. Like I want yes. this to be its, its own complete thing. So when somebody gets to it, it's not, you know, it's like, it's the continuation, but if it's at the line break, then. Yeah, the thought isn't separated. Right, yeah. Hmm. Okay, so. Well, how did, as a listener, how did you, did you enjoy listening to it read that way or or was it uh jarring no it it so there's i don't there's a mystique sort of around lee young lee that i've built up in my mind just after having encountered a lot of his poetry and sort of the like the general theming of of his work that it it's like very meditative very contemplative um weirdly like internally spiritual sometimes mm -hmm. overtly but a lot of times there are these like um it feels like it's like mythologizing like it's it's his own personal mythology or his own personal building up yeah. of like some sort of religious belief um that his reading of that poem felt like that's the only way that this poem can exist sonically because of like because of the the i guess like the theming of it and the the imagery of it that it him reading it like that made it feel almost like a prayer i was just i when you were describing it that's exactly what i was thinking of like it it has to it has to be read this way or it's not going to work right it's, you're not going to get the end result of what the the poem is uh is trying to invoke. <laughs> right. And I, I think that like, like we were talking about a little bit before with having the spacing around like lines or around words to, to sort of build in a, a, a visual contemplative space, him reading mm -hmm. his, his poem, the way that he did worked in a sort of like oral contemplative space that, um, cause that's, that's honestly been one of my gripes about, um, poetry readings or readings in general in which poetry is a part that like when, when it's on the page, like I can sit with something for a while. Like I can read a line and then sit with it or read the poem and then go back to it and read the poem again, or like read a section of the poem. And when you're, when you're sitting down listening to somebody read their work, like if there's an image or something that you want to hang out on, you can't, you can't be like, oh, wait, could you... You can't can, pause. <laughs> yeah, or like, can you, can you go back and reread that stanza just for, like, you know, emphasis? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I feel like, at least for that poem, I don't... Again, I'm not sure if he does this for his other poetry, but I, I feel like he... I have a feeling that he does just because that seems like the type of guy that he is and the type of poet that he is. Um, but in, in him reading uh, Have You Prayed... It feels like he's he's approaching that sort of space that there are these images or these lines or these really like sort of quietly challenging um, images or concepts that he's introducing that by reading the poem the way that he does, he's giving you sort of a little bit of a buffer to let that image exist as itself. And then you can kind yeah. of connect it to the next thing and then build it up. So it's not like it's a rapid fire. You get this image, this image, this image, and then I'm out, I'm done. That yeah. You, there's a, there's enough space for them to sort of like, 
each one gets its sort of allotment of time in your in your head before you move on to the next thing. Um, which, again, feels like this, it's... After hearing him read that particular poem, I can't read that poem myself now without hearing his way of doing it. I'm like, well, that, yeah, because that's the way that's correct. That's, this is how it needs to be. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Okay, so... Why poetry for you? Like, how did, how did that happen? What was, what started you out on, on your, uh, I don't know, that, that particular artistic endeavor? Um, so I, I fell in love with poetry in the third grade. Oh, damn. Um, <laughs> um, I, I grew up in a very small rural place. Um, and I, we just learned it as, as part of our regular curriculum and, um, my teacher, Mrs. Wright, uh, let us try writing our, our own poems. Um, I actually, I remember my very first poem I wrote about, um, a white tiger, <laughs> like Siberian tigers. Um, I, I don't know, like that, that was just, that was an obsession when I was eight, nine years old <laughs> for some reason. Um. And I guess I got enough praise from my teachers and my parents for, you know, having, having done this, this exercise that I was like, oh, cool, this is something I can do. Hmm. Uh, and it's just, it's just been part of my life ever since then. Um, so through... Through middle school and high school, I didn't really have much in the way of um, of a teacher or a mentor when it came to creative writing, just because it was small um, public school district in rural Maryland. Um, in high school, we had uh, one creative writing class uh, taught by Mrs. Herman, um, and I got to take it twice it was just the same class over again but i i wanted to do it again um just to to have more um I, I guess just more time with it um and we would we would do a little bit of poetry writing in just regular english class like just um to get us uh comfortable with like reading different forms basically um form was never my um, never something I was really drawn to, never something that I think I was particularly good at. Um, and that may be because I didn't really spend much time um, trying to uh, to work with, with form in poetry. Um, but, um, and we, we didn't have like a literary magazine or anything. Uh, we had a newspaper uh, <laughs> in high school. Um, but when I got to college, I, I really... I feel like that's when my poetry education really started to happen. Um, and uh, I, had, I had some great teachers. Um, Peter Campion was um, my poetry teacher junior and senior year of college. Um, and he was wonderful, supportive, um, and very, very helpful in, in guiding, guiding my writing and my reading. Um, 
and then, you know, I, I thought about doing an MFA, but I was not, I'm, I still am not really sold on the idea of <laughs> that's a thing for me. Um, like I, I have friends who've done it and they, they love the experience. Um, I just, I don't really want to go back to school, I think is my problem. Um, but, uh, I guess my education kind of continued in a self-directed way after undergrad. Um, I just kept trying to read as much as I could. Um, I uh, I got some guidance as an undergrad about, you know, submitting work to literary journals and literary journals um, to, to read and, and that sort of thing. So I, I just kept, kept going in, in that way as much as I could. And then when I got the job at the literary house, um, Jean Dubrow, what really did become a mentor for me, and I think my my writing really really took off then. And so. I f I feel like so I can't speak for everyone who has gotten an MFA, and I know that that specifically some people that were in my cohorts got an MFA for very drastically different reasons than the than the reason that I, that I went, but. For me, it was an, an issue of, like, I finished undergrad and I realized that my poetry was not at a place that I wanted it to be. And I could kind of see where, where it, it needed to go. But I was like, I can't, I can't do this myself. There, I need, like, I need the sort of the structure or the, um, I don't know, like the fire under the ass of a school program to get me to kind of where, yeah. where it is that I need to go. Um, so I specifically went for just the sort of like the next sort of more in-depth um, step. The next of, level, of, yeah. Right. But and I, I feel like you being in a position where you are um, like an assistant editor and a managing editor, like that has probably been uh, maybe not better, but at least like a comparable education of the experience of like being surrounded by you know like poetry and editing and having to read a whole bunch of submissions and yes like, absolutely that it's because like that really was i think that where i got the most out of my mfa education was that doing stuff like that where you're just you're exposed to a lot more things you're exposed to how to think critically about them, how to like revise, a, you know, or edit a bunch of different voices who, that are all doing a bunch of different things. Um, so to have like to have that firsthand experience, like that's astounding to me that you were able to like slot into that that place and, and have that as a, um, I don't know, like a, a really nice like foundation that you can build up from with your own writing. Yeah, there was. There was a lot of luck, I feel like, that, that <laughs> went into landing me there when I did in my own life. Um, especially, again, I, I live in the same small town that I grew up in. Um, so it's it's not like there are a lot of uh, poetry and writing opportunities around here. Like, that, that position just happened to open up when I was desperate to get out of the jobs that I was in. Um, and it just worked out really perfectly. Um, and I, I think another part of my job that has really 
um, influenced my writing um, and pushed me to um, to grow and experiment in ways that I didn't really imagine before um, was all of the all of the writers that we bring to campus for readings um, and just like just the the experiences we get to have with them, the conversations, talking mm -hmm. with them, listening to them read, hearing them talk about their work. Um, after a while, that just really builds up in you. Um, well, I can imagine. Until it gets to like a critical mass, and you just <laughs> like, yeah, okay, I can, I can do this. Like, I, um, I never would have thought of doing any visual poetry, um, but spending time around these amazing creative people just made me realize why the hell can't you just just do it nobody's looking over your shoulder right now just do it and yeah. and see how, where it goes and if it if it works for you um and also my discovery that i could write about the horror movies that i love so much like i never really thought about that until just out of the blue one day, I had this idea for a series of poems about the movie The Silence of the Lambs. And I was like, why the hell can't you do that? Of course you can. So like being around um, all of these amazing writers um, helped me to give myself the permission to experiment and push myself in different ways that I feel like has really shaped my voice as a poet now um, and who I am as a poet. Um, which is obviously still growing and changing. Um, obvious to me, anyway. Um, <laughs> okay, so that, that ties into a question that I'm... One of the questions that I, I try to ask my guests just because it's something that I'm, I'm really interested in. Um, so it's, it's, it's two separate questions, but they might be sort of interrelated. Uh, the first one is, have there been, like, noticeable major shifts in your writing since like the third grade um and and the no. sec <laughs> still writing about white tigers um and the second one is how has being an editor both like the assistant editor and the managing editor um well i guess has it and if it has how has being an editor changed the way that you write so, um, okay, yeah, so working on um, my book, I think, was when there was the most significant shift for me, just because I changed the way I approached writing individual poems. Um, once I had the idea for the book I kind of wanted to write, even though it, it changed over time, mm -hmm. um, I every poem I was writing was writing toward that. Um, it, it was each poem was building on the last one mm -hmm. and on the one before that. Um, so I wasn't, even though um, I knew every poem needed to stand on its own, um, I viewed them all as linked. And when I was writing them, I wasn't just like, it, it was never a, I don't know what I'm going to write about. I'm going to do some free writing and, and see, um, and, and, and just, just see what comes up and then I'll write a poem about whatever. Um, 
I was always writing with a particular goal and project in mind. Interesting. Um, and that this new poem was a building block. It wasn't. It wasn't just. It was its own thing, but it also was part of this greater thing that I was building. And then reading them together um, created something greater, like a like a, a just a larger poem in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think there are definitely there are advantages and disadvantages to to that way of doing it. Um, in the writing of the book, it was it was very motivational, um, and it was it it was it was comforting to know that I had something to write about. Whenever I sat down, um, I didn't have to go searching for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that that project is done. Um, for the last year and a half, uh, going on two years, it's been really difficult to figure out what the hell I'm writing about now. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I even write just a poem? Um, so when when I was in the middle of the project, it was a really beneficial way of, of working on it. But when I'm just trying to um, just write an individual poem um, that may or may not be part of a, a greater project because it doesn't have to be. Right. Um, I kind of forgot how to do that. <laughs> so it's been it's been difficult. Um, and I I think I've st- stumbled on recently a, a mini project. Um, so I am able to write right now. I am able to focus on something. Um, but before that, it was just this mindless flailing around and it was really um really unsettling and really uncomfortable um because I just I felt like I was I was starting over again in so many ways like I didn't how how do you write a poem (laughs) Um, so yeah um and before writing this 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 book I I never I never approached writing that way. Mm-hmm. I it was just always I was focused on the individual poem and then when that was done, that book was closed. I move on to the the next individual poem. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see in the end if they piece together in some meaningful way. But right. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's been really difficult to get back to um writing a poem for the poem's sake rather than for some greater purpose um because those those poems deserve to be written too <laughs> right yeah but it's it's so i there's... and that you feel like you're forcing a project right yeah you don't want to do that yeah so fuck there's there's so many things bumping around in my head right now based sorry on... go ahead <laughs> no so one of the things that you mentioned like viewing viewing each of the each of the individual poems in this like in your book project as a as as essentially like part of a a whole like each mm-hmm. each one is a sort of a movement in the symphony of of the book exactly um, which is something that i've been thinking about or it's something that has come to mind a lot recently of just like what like where is that balance what's what is the equilibrium of a poem that 
could conceivably stand on its own and be its own individual thing. But if it's being written in the context of a book, you know, like, is there some, like, does it not necessarily need to be as independent a structure than than not because it's part of you know like you said it's like it's it's something that is the building block to the next thing or as a as a right as a like a brick in the the sort of edifice of or the the wall or construction whatever it is of of the book um and the the thinking of like like how does how does that change the the approachment of the manuscript, the approach to the manuscript and to the book itself, that you're that it it ceases to become a, a collection of like individual things that you put together, and becomes the sort of like that, you know, like for poetry, you know, like the the line is sort of the most the small or can be like the smallest unit of a thing, and then you get a yes. bunch of lines together and you have the stanza, and then when you have stanzas working together, it becomes the poem, and then when you have a a bunch of like poems together that work in concert with each other you have the book and that becomes the sort of like this is the smallest unit that this thing can actually be divided into yes because this is how it's you know like this is how i'm choosing to put it out into the world and it's in a particular order and there's a certain arc that's like all of this has been engineered to result in a very particular feeling or like I want you to arrive in a very particular place at the end of this collection and like this is the thing um because yeah. I I just got finished well not just I a couple of months ago I finished reading um Jane a Murder by Maggie Nelson and okay. when I got to the end of it she acknowledges or she she thanks um you know like a handful of literary magazines and publications that excerpts from that collection were published in and it it was astounding to me that that there were things that in this collection that could exist by themselves because it felt like it was so woven together and and such like a unit in and of itself that's like i i don't how would how do you extract and i I, and even in blue it's too that there's a at at the end she was like you know the parts of this were published somewhere like how how do you do that because it's yeah. all like it all has to depend on it. It is just this one thing, right? Yeah, that's like, like you just like cut off an arm and and submit that somewhere. <laughs> or like people that publish like chapters of a novel somewhere. I'm like, how do you, like, no, I don't want to see this independently and by itself, it disembodied <laughs> from the rest of the thing that it's supposed to be a part of. It like it needs. Right. Um, so another, or I guess a question for you in. In the writing of the poems for your first book, did you did the order that they happened in chronologically mimic or match the order that they ultimately wound up in, like in the manuscript and then in in the book? So, um, so it's broken up into five short sections, and within those sections, yes, they were written chronologically. Okay. Um, and then when it came time to, well, I was I was restructuring the book as I was writing it. <laughs> um, I, I feel like that is my style right now, is I revise simultaneously with my writing, um, even even on the individual poem level. Um, it's it's a really slow and frustrating process, and I don't know if I'd recommend it. <laughs> um, 
Um, when so at some point during during the writing of the book, I I figured out um, what order um, the sections needed to go in. Okay. Um, and then that didn't really change. Um, it it just I I knew that's the way it needed to be, and so I kind of wrote it into being. Okay. Um, but also there's there's also part of that that is I, the whole time I was worried about forcing something. So while I was very deliberate in what I was doing while I was writing each poem and um, and structuring this book, um, I was also trying to sublimate that as much as I could to like just check in with myself and the poems and be like, this, is this what you want to? <laughs> right. Um, which is, it, it, yeah, it's, it's a very, it's a very strange pro process. Um, but I'm sure very similar to what a lot of other poets juggle with, especially since a lot of us are writing like project books these days. Um, but, um, well, that's but yeah, there's there's that fine balance between writing a project book that in which the the project takes prominence over the poems themselves, um, and an actual book in which it clearly clearly there was a project in mind, but the poems are are doing the work. Right, and I, I think that it's a. I think it's a difference in like maybe the intent of the starting point that like a project book, like the, the, the book that you, that you wrote, you have sort of like the end goal, or maybe not the end goal, but the sort of like the bigger picture in mind. Yeah. So you're writing things in support of this, of this contemplative space that you're, that you've been in versus right. other collections, which are seemingly sort of like disparate poems that come together that the ways that they interact with each other and the sort of order that they're put in develops a meaning as like as the things being written or as the whatever is happening to the book as it's being put together that the end result like you get sort of that bigger picture but it's something that happens in process versus something that like you know that you want to wind up someplace and then you're, you're built, you're writing poems as like stepping stones to get you there versus like right. following, just being out sort of like wandering without intent. And then yes. you wind up, you're like, Oh, I never, okay, I'm here now. This is cool. And then you can <laughs> like, you know, like in hindsight, you can see how each thing sort of got you to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing, and then right. to the destination. But it is very much a like, it's it's the the meaning happens in the relationships or the context of the poem not that the poem or the 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 meaning of the poems happen or the poems happen as a result of like the meaning or whatever it is that you're right that you're moving to well and i think in a successful project book um that room is left for that right um and hopefully that's what i did we'll find out um <laughs> when people read it um but but yeah in, in my thinking about project books in general um there i think there has to be room enough for the intention and room enough for 
the goal and the where you end up to change as needed. Yeah. Yes, I, I would <laughs> I would agree with that. Or the, just it's a the, like balance, right? Yeah. Or like the the approaching of, of projects like that of of just a like like exploration of a of a given space in that in any exploration there will probably be things that you expect to find they like, oh, okay, yeah, I knew going into this that this would probably be something that, you know, I was going to write a poem about this. But I think if it's, if it's a true sort of exploration, then it's, there's inherently built in a, an aspect or a level of, oh, this is a discovery. Like, I don't know, you know, I, I totally forgot that this is a thing that was in the corner of this room. And, or like, yeah. I don't know, there's this box here. I don't remember what the hell's in this box. And you open up like, oh shit, there's a whole treasure trove of things that like I can write about this or I can write about that. Um, I think... And I feel like there has to be something like that for me in each of the poems that I'm writing. Mm. Um, so none of the poems that ended up in the book um, or all of the poems that ended up in the book um, had that moment in the writing of them where I was like, oh, I didn't realize that this is where I was going to end up or this was the image that was going to flip in this way. But um, but this is really interesting. Mm. And that leads to the next poem and leads to the next poem. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that I think that is essential um, in in any poem. Yeah. For that to happen. Otherwise, the poet's bored and the reader is bored. <laughs> like yeah. you're just. <laughs> Yeah, what's what's the point then? If if there's no if there's no moment of of revelation um, for the writer, then there's no moment of revelation for the reader either. Hmm. It's just a th you can't fake it. I think. Yeah, yeah. Because I I mean I, it's a it's a weird experience when you're when you're writing a poem. So like my. I mean, well, again, I, I don't know if this is a if this is a uh, trans or like a a, a universal poet experience, mm -hmm. um, but a lot of times when I'm writing, like I will get maybe the the opening lines or like the opening image, and then it's a process of it it feels like it's a weird sort of split time thing that like I'm writing and discovering the poem, but the poem itself is sort of already known and is just essentially just presenting itself. Yeah. Like it's, it's the more and more of it is like stepping out of shadow into light, but it also feels like there is an active discovery that I'm doing and like finding this thing, but it, it's, it, I don't know. It, it's like, but it's subconscious that right. like the, the, the poem that is already written in, in this parallel universe um, is, is a subconscious thing that's happening right. for the writer. So you don't, there is a revelation there and part of you already knows what it is, right. but not consciously. Right. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, um, the, like the best image that I, that I have for this is, um, there was an old magic school bus episode where, oh, yes. <laughs> um, it was somebody that Miss Frizzle knew. I think it was like a country singer and the class was tasked with washing her like big ass Cadillac. And there was a crystal <laughs> as a hood ornament. And she was like, you know, wash it. Just be careful with the hood ornament. And somebody gets it wet and it dissolves because it turns out that it was just a big ass like sugar crystal. 
Um, wow. So everyone's freaking out, and then Miss Frizzle's like, field trip time. Um, <laughs> so they shrink down like to the uh, molecule level and go inside of the bucket that the sugar crystal was, was dissolved in. Mm-hmm. And they start... I don't, I don't know what they what they do, but they start like pairing the sugar crystal molecules with each other and like removing like some a of the, kind of where it's like they remove the they remove it from the water and they pair them with each other and then they remove the water somewhere and then after eventually the sugar crystals start to like self form because that's oh. like however the because science they have their own innate structure right yeah however the science was described it's like that they're they're doing this work in the, in the beginning and then moving things around to get to lay the groundwork of these crystals and then as over time the crystals sort of self-adhere and build itself back to what it needed to be and that feels similar to like when i at least in in some degree and when when i write poetry that's like in the beginning it's the sort of like I know that all the parts are there and I know that all the images are there and I start yeah. sort of writing through and putting it together and then eventually, usually it feels like the poem starts sort of just building. It's like, it's not so much that I'm writing this thing anymore. It's more that I'm sort of just like transcribing the thing that is happening. Um, right. It's your job as the poet to get the poem to a place where the poem knows what it's doing yeah. and then it'll finish itself. Yeah. Because in that, there there talking about like the revelation there have been a lot of times where in that process like i'm writing through something and then i arrive either at an image or you know like the the end of the poem happens i'm like oh shit i had no idea that this is where this poem was going but like but again like part of me knew because i the poem came from me but it was like you said like the conscious sort of discovery of like oh shit this is where this thing this is the image that happens. Yes. Like, okay, that's great. Cool. This is fantastic. This is fantastic. <laughs> I um, getting back to like project stuff um, or project books. I think that that's the one of the reasons why I think I like chapbooks more than full length collections because they feel more like thematically unified, or they feel like yes. that there is like oh somebody had an idea for a series of like 10 poems on silence of the lambs. And that's the sort of like you create that sort of contemplative space for yourself or that sort of exploratory space. And then you go in, you mine out the things that you can mine out, you explore the things you can explore. And then you wind up with, uh, you know, like maybe not everything that you could have gotten out of there, but at least for that moment, this is the sort of like, I don't know, like this is, this is what I could extract for this moment and these this these are the, the things yeah. yeah like it's when you were describing this i was like yeah 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 and then i was thinking like it's like when a tv series you really love ends before it starts like really grasping at straws yes. and like <laughs> tries tries to like drag it out for like three four five more years longer than it really should have because mm-hmm. those first like three seasons that was it Right. That was golden time. Just leave it. <laughs> right. Just, or like, um, just leave it as it is. Yeah, and I feel like there's so many there's so many TV shows now that are that are operating as like miniseries or or like selective run whatever. Like the first season of um, True Detective was its own contained like there was a story that yes. we want to tell. 
we will tell the story and then we'll move on to something else. Or like, um, I don't know. Yeah, and they're not even going to take the same characters to a new season. Right. They're, they're just going to start start over with with a new idea that's kind of along the same lines. Right, yeah. Or like, um, like TV. So I feel like these are more hit or miss, but the fact that they're, instead of um, the growing trend to adapt books as TV shows or TV series versus movies, which yes. I, I am 100% all for because there is like, there's no way that you can jam a like five, 600, 700 page book into a movie without no. cutting things or, you know, it's like, you're going to do, you might do an okay adaptation or maybe a very, Weird, interesting adapt like Blade Runner. I think is maybe one of the the most successful yeah. adaptations within within that universe. But doing it as a as a TV series, like you can you can draw in so much more of the the narrative, and you have so much more space to to develop things and give characters that actually have like motivations yeah. and arcs, and you can you can visually, which are the things that you love about the book, right? Yeah. Um, so I was thinking about like American Gods is I think coming back this oh, this weekend. I loved the first season. <laughs> Me too. It's, it's done so well, um, but I'm I'm yeah I'm a huge Neil Gaiman fan in general. Um, but then the the guys who who did that show they also um, did Hannibal, right? Oh yeah yeah yeah. Um, I just I just love that style that. It's just amazing. Yeah. And um, I think his uh, Good Omens, I think, is dropping sometime soon, too. On... Right. I've seen something about that, too. David Tennant and um, Michael Sheen. Yeah. Um, They're going to be great. <laughs> but just the idea of, like, you have... So in these in these things, like American Gods and Good Omens or, like, even Game of Thrones, like, there's a certain... There's a, there's a timeline or there's a lifespan that they have. And then when they're done... They're done. There's no, you know, there's no extra things they need to do. There's no, you know, there might be additional or like supplementary information that happens. But, you know, like when American Gods reaches the end of the plot of the book, the series will end. And it's, yeah. you know, um, which I think is probably one of the reasons why I, I really appreciate um, some of the, the more uh, faithful like anime adaptations of manga because there's like... There's a, you know, there's the story that they're being, aside from if the manga is already done and there's no need to do filler, um, but, you know, like, there is a story that is, that is presented, that is being told, and then when it's, when it reaches its end, it's done, and there's no, there's no extra thing that needs to happen, there's no, you know, um, but, yeah, so, and I feel like, getting back to chapbooks, I feel like chapbooks have more of that energy the more of that sort of like this is a this is very concentrated yeah like this is the emotion or this is the the space or this is the experience that i wanted to explore that i wanted to talk about and then you know like at least for now i'm done like this is what i wanted to say and then you know it might and then or thinking that's like it might expand out to Right, like, you can you can build a, a full length collection out of a couple of chapbooks right. and like just just put them together. Yeah. But, um, well, that's like that's yeah. a that's a really, <laughs> I I feel like, I feel like the trend of, um, 
like first full length collections, or like the like a debut collection of of poetry, a debut full length collection of poetry for emerging poets is usually sort of just a like a suturing together of past chapbooks with maybe, you know, like section one's a chapbook, section two is a chapbook, and then section three or poems ever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which, again, could could result in a sort of like this is a meaning making happening between these things that result in this sort of bigger picture. But I feel like the the maybe danger of that is that when you read it, it feels like this is just it's like three chapbooks that are sort of just like put right, together. And they're not interrelating like they should yeah. in in an actual collection. Yeah. Because they, they, they could just be separate books on the shelf. Right, right. Which, you know, like, I don't know, as this might be biased, my, my personal bias, because I run a press that almost exclusively publishes chapbooks. Um, <laughs> but I don't know, there's, there's a, there's something about like reading the chapbook that for me, it feels like it's a complete experience that there's like there's there's something that the that the poet wanted to say about a given subject they said at least for this for this amount of time they said what they wanted to say and they're like that's it i don't i don't need more it, you know or or maybe just a um like wanting to wanting chapbooks to have the same sort of dignity or prestige or whatever that a full length collection or the like that chapbooks are can stand up to like a full length collection. It's not, it's not a stepping stone to like, Oh, I'm going to write, you know, right. like I've written four chapbooks now and now I have a full length collection. Like I would love to see, I mean, I would really love to see a poet that just does, you know, like 60 chapbooks throughout their entire career <laughs> of a, you know, and like, because they are these individual little things that they want to, you know, I don't know. I, that also might be personal bias because I I cannot imagine doing the the work required to get a like a full length collection because it it when I write I tend to write in like concentrated bursts of yeah like oh I'm preoccupied by birds and like the relationship with my body because I'm a gender and I my body is very much has a gender mm-hmm. I'm gonna write like twenty poems about that. And then, like, okay, I'm done. And I then you're done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to write stuff now about, like, I don't know. I live next to a cemetery. And there's I there's poetry, probably, or, like, a little collection of poetry about just, you know, that's, that's my view. Windows and yeah. then cemetery. Um, I don't know. It's just, it might also be, the, like, what you're saying way back when about the, like, the attention span. That there's a certain level of, like, like, I can be in it for, like, 20 poems that are dedicated to this thing. Um, right. Although, like, I've been reading a lot of Mary Oliver, and I feel like her collections are very knit together as far as, like, tone, or just the sort of, like, it feels like she's in a particular place, and all of these sort of disparate poems are being written from that particular place, so that that yeah. gives it the through line for it. She she is the the through line. Yeah. yeah. Or um I feel like uh Jane Hirschfield has that a little bit too that like there's a that 
her like her particular viewpoint of things or like the the creation of this this contemplative space it's like that's the through line or um like charles wright to me feels like it's the voice um yeah. that like there is a very particular way that he's writing about something and that's the thing that that draws through um although one of my one of my favorite collections by him um sestets or set set yeah sestets um mm -hmm. one of my uh, guests, earlier guests for season four said that um, he, I think for like a summer, every day, I think that he, like he either got up in the morning or in the afternoon, or at least it was like every day he would write a poem, mm -hmm. like on his Montana ranch somewhere. And that became the collection, which is like, this is fantastic because like, again, that's the sort of through line is that there's this, yeah. I'm going to be, I'm going to write a poem dedicated to the place that I'm at for a summer and that's the yeah. project. Um, I don't know. No, I think those are worthy projects too. Absolutely. And chapbooks, I will always have a special place in my heart for chapbooks. Like as, as an emerging poet, I guess is, is what I might be called. Um, <laughs> um, I, I feel like getting, getting to a full length collection was like the the mountain that needed to be climbed mm -hmm. like that and there were chapbooks along the way um right. and i love them like my children um and now that now that i've reached this this one goal i don't know i might go back to a chapbook um yeah, I, I have I have no idea, but like, it, it's it was one of those things that like, as a baby poet, like that that's a thing that you need to get to to like established. Okay, I'm serious. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a serious poet. Please respect me. Um, and then after that, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like there's a so one. I feel like chapbooks. You can take a lot more because most chapbooks are published by smaller independent presses, mm -hmm. there's a level of um, risk or experimentation that you can take in a chapbook or things like th like letterpress or handbound can be a, a major element that feels like chap, because of that feels like it gives chapbooks a little bit more personality or a little more, there are, um, there are more elements that that personality can be very much imprinted on um, and give give a greater sense of like, oh, this is what this thing is about versus, you know, like a, a straight up and down, like Simon and Schuster published poetry right. collection, which will, you know, has its own has its own vibe and its own energy. But I feel like there's there's a lot more like normalization that happens to that versus a chapbook that can be kind of this weird... A weirdo. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's a... Like, there... because chapbooks are so small, um, like, you can... And they're relatively off the the mainstream radar. Like, mm -hmm. you, can, you can give them the artistic treatment that you wouldn't necessarily be able to give right. off the length. Yeah. And um, I feel like there's a level of... So, when I when I design and lay out and do typesetting, all that, all that shit for the books that, that I publish, 
like I I try at every stage to be very conscious of like everything that I'm every design element like the font the how big the header is, or like how big the title is how much indentation mm -hmm. the poems get the size of the book itself um, you know if what the the sort of color palette of things going to be is it going to be hand bound is it not going to be hand bound if it's not going to be hand bound with yeah. like the the texture of the paper that it all works together to lend it to push towards a sort of unified experience with like the text of it so it's like everything that you yes. get from from picking up the book to looking at the cover to cracking it open to read it to closing the back cover is all part of the same unified experience um and i i like you said that with because chapbooks are a little off the beaten path and there is the the space or the sort of attention that you can give to them to have them be more like somewhere closer to like artist books but maybe not yeah and not exactly there that that there is a it's a different experience to pick up a chapbook and and to have that thing versus like a full length you know big four or yeah four i guess now um published you know thing um yeah and i i so I, I think the the limited edition um aspect of it as well um helps with that because you, you don't have to think about this needs to be reproduced like a thousand times you right. just you only need to do this a few hundred times yeah. maybe yeah. <laughs> um yeah like at, at most like a, a lot I, of, yeah like, I, I feel i feel like Oh, sorry. You you go. You go. No, I was, I was just thinking that like at yeah, like at most you will maybe have like a thousand of these things out in the world somewhere over you know like maybe five or six different runs, a grand total of like a, a thousand just floating right. around in the world versus like you know a a first edition run printing of you know ten thousand. I I don't I don't know what the hell number of books like a a poet yeah. <laughs> gets in a. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but yeah, you can you can afford money wise and time wise mm -hmm. more to give chapbooks that extra attention um, that makes them feel special and kind of deluxe in a way that um, that just like a general trade paperback is never going to to get. Like you can you can do the letterpress treatment, you can do handmade paper, um, you can play with different kinds of um, uh, hand binding. Mm -hmm. Um, there's just like so many different, you could do a pop-up book. Like that there's, would be awesome. There was one that I, that I had, I, I picked this up at one of the Haiku North America conferences that it was a, this neat little, like, like box that was folded up, that was self-contained that when you unfolded <laughs> it, um, it would, the, the, the chat book was a stack of like maybe 30 loose, like, uh, I don't know, maybe like five by five squares that okay. were like each one was that had some sort of illustration. I, th I think it was a, a, a Tonka collection, but each one had like an illustration on it and stuff. But it was just like this loose packet of things that could be read yeah. like it was mutable. Like it could be read in any order. It could be changed. It could be shuffled through. And then when you're done, you just kind of fold the box back up and that's its thing. And I was like, I... Yeah it fits so perfectly with with what this collection is and the sort of energy and the vibe of the collection and like right. 
I would be... I would be very disappointed if I knew that that version of this thing exists in the world and then I saw it as a sort of traditionally, you know, like traditional perfect bound, you know, like standard sized book. It's like, there's no, this can't. That's not the experience of of the text. That's not the ideal experience of the text. Like the platonic ideal of that book (laughs) should should not be a trade paperback. Right. It's it's Um, like, like how Lee Young Lee read uh, Have You Prayed? There was like, that's the way that this thing needs to exist sonically in the world, and this book needs to exist in this way, too. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> I had a thought, and then it left me. Sorry. <laughs> um, but, oh, are you familiar with... Uh, you're in Baltimore, right? Yes. Are you familiar with um, Container? Yes, I was I was going to mention them as Yeah, I I love them. Um I I bought a subscription to uh Lookbooks. Um oh, with the like that, the little the little mini viewfinder yes, ones. Yes. Yeah. Um I yeah, I bought a subscription at last AWP. Um and it I just it's such a brilliant idea and it's executed beautifully. Um and I just I just got my my first um issue i guess our first book of um the the second year subscription um and i haven't had a chance to look at it yet but i'm very excited to do that over my spring break week um but i just i love looking at the things um that they do like the different concepts um and with i feel like that is almost exclusive to shorter text like you you can't you can't do that with a text that is hundred pages or more. Right. Um, if, if you have a shorter text, you have the freedom to experiment with the book as objects. Right. Um, and the way, the way that you, you physically bring the book into the world. Um, and chapbooks are just like the perfect size for that. <laughs> yeah. And I, especially since they're, they're so self-contained um, as far as, the text itself, um, how it's it, it's hyper focused on on this one this one subject or this one voice. Yeah, and I like I feel like so again I've not well no actually I, I have laid out a, a one um, I've done one full length collection through my press and everything else before that has been chapbooks, and I feel like. Mm-hmm. Working with chapbooks, it's so much easier to get a sense, at least for like the design and layout side of things. It's it's it was so much easier for me to get a sort of unified visual um, dictionary or like unified visual component to this thing because it's like like you said it's because it's so mm-hmm. self-contained um, that it it made it that very much more apparent for me. That's like oh this is. What, how this thing needs to, like, this is the color palette for this thing, as opposed to right. a full-length collection that, that can kind of go a bunch of different places, and like, I don't... Right, yeah, it might fit this this first section, but this second section, it just, um, it, this, it doesn't match at all, right. so yeah. what are you going to do? How, yeah. how are you going to make it fit the entire book? Yeah, and I, I feel like in instances like that, you either have to draw out, you know, something that whatever the title is something that feels in line with like visually sort of in line with that, even if it's sort of like a visual echo or visual rhyme or whatever, um, Mm -hmm. or go a more 
like gen- maybe generic, but maybe more abstract sort of like this is an Im- like this might be the sort of general feeling that I get when I read this book, and this is a visual that kind of matches that feeling, or uh, like they exist. Right, that's, that's a little more interpretive than it is. Right, like this is exactly what the poem is saying. Yeah, yeah, like there's yeah. a um, there's a collection that I'm working on right now that is very much poem poetry. There's that's written about. Um, like the Allegheny mountains over in like Western, like Frostburg area um, that like, I know, I know what the image is going to be. It's going to be like some, some landscape version of that, like those mountains, like that's it because that's, that's the unifying, this is the, the, and even though it's, it will more than likely be a full length collection. Although I have been toying with the idea. So it's a, it's a poet that has been writing for like pretty much all of his life. And I think that he's in his, like 60s or 70s like he's he's up there in the years um and he's never published a book so he sent me um he has a lot of stuff just sitting around (laughs) yeah so it's i think it's like 80 something pages um but i was toying with the idea of doing instead of like one singular full-length collection doing um like like volumes of um chapbook style things so it'd be like like, yeah, like Dick Carson four... did something like that recently. Oh yeah, um, and I'm blanking on the name of it, but I it's it's in my stack of to be read stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, but like, but doing something where like I don't know, I I need to talk to him about this, but yeah, doing something like, um, you know, like twenty twenty poems per book, and mm-hmm. have like four books that are like. Because there are, ooh, maybe I could, I could do it on the seasons. Because it's poem, like stuff that's written kind of through it, like across seasonal stuff. So I don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't, but that would be because there's a, um, oh, fuck. What was, I don't remember what his first initials are, but there's a uh, uh, translator named uh, Blythe who was translating haiku back in like the 40s and 50s. Um, mm-hmm who broke up like his haiku sort of anthologies in the seasons. Um, so there's like a winter haiku anthology and it's just yeah. a shit ton of haiku about winter. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Just like, but again, sort of like with, with both the small press and with the ideas of chapbooks, like you could, you could do something like that where you could have like a, 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 a like a subscription of these four books. So it's like, if you buy the first one, yeah. Um, you know, or like you pay, I don't know, like 25 bucks for the bundle and you'll get like each next season until it, yeah. it's done. You get, you could release them on the seasons. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was, so I, I wanted to ask, um, do you, do y'all time cherry trees, like print public, like it coming out for like spring in the cherry trees, like that sort of. We, we didn't. Um, so I, I think I, I'm trying to remember back since it's been five years now. Um, I think the original decision was just so that we'd have a print issue ready for the AWP conference whenever that was that uh-huh. year. <laughs> so it was more practical than anything. Um, yeah. And then that's that's just what we've stuck with. Because we have we have very we are very um, overtaxed when it comes to 
the amount of projects that we're working on at the <laughs> for our uh, three-person staff. Um, so there are like these brief windows of time where we can fit um, the production work for certain projects. And so gotcha. once once we figured out that's where a cherry tree was going, it's it's never it's never moved. <laughs> there's, there's something else in every other time slot for the rest of the year. So. Gotcha. And that's another reason why we only do one issue a year. Although the original plan was to start at one and try to move to like maybe two a year. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just at this point um, until we get more staff, which will hopefully happen sometime soon. <laughs> uh, it's it's impossible for us to to physically manage as as human people. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can I can imagine. Because <laughs> yeah, because I'm imagining that it's the same three people that work both on the literary journal and all of the publications that come out of like the yes. literary, <laughs> literary house. <laughs> Yep, it, it is. And then and then of course we have the the part of the house that is um you know, we're part of an undergrad program. We're we're there for the students, so we're running internships and um we have a, a young writers conference that we have in the summer for high school students who are starting to think about college. Oh. Hopefully they'll think about our college, you know, it's <laughs> part of the idea, but um but also like the attitude of, of everybody who works in the lit house is like will love you and continue to support you no matter where you go for school. So, um, but, but yeah, so there, there are a bunch of other things we do that, although the press is like my favorite part, it's just one aspect of what we're doing. And then we have our event series, um, that yeah. we do. Every so it's, um, it's a lot. <laughs> um, and we're fooled mostly by, by love of it at this point because um, we're just so exhausted all the time. Um, and it also it also helps that uh, we love each other. Like yeah. the James and Julia and I were we're a really tight knit group. Um, we are definitely family <laughs> at this point. Um, and we're all very supportive of each other and we try to recognize each other's limits and when we are reaching them. <laughs> because <laughs> uh, it gets emotional sometimes <laughs> when we're all at our wits end yeah yeah geez. so um, we just try not to reach our wits end at the same time <laughs> yeah you have to like you stagger <laughs> them out, over the, it out yeah um okay so you've you've mentioned your book a couple of times um what type what's the name of it who's publishing it when's it coming out this is this is your time to plug if you so choose to plug. Well, thank you for asking. Um, so my book is called Catechesis: A Post Pastoral. Um, so, uh, yeah, big, big uh, SAT words. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that I mean, my my poems in general don't use uh, really lofty language, um, but. Those, I really, I really liked the feelings that those those words captured, and I hope that it kind of encapsulated the different themes that I was trying to get at in in the book. Um, it is coming out from the University of Utah Press. Um, 
the amazing poet Kimiko Han chose it for their 2018 Aga Shahid Ali Poetry Prize. And she wrote a foreword for me that is just stunning. And I have have read it several times now and it, it is is still surreal. But like, it's amazing to have someone that you haven't met and who is someone someone who I look up to read my work and understand it so thoroughly um so I'm I'm just still blown away by that so was it Um, was it part of like a um like a chapbook contest or did you were they was it just like open submissions and you sent your stuff in and it got select oh no you said it was it was for a um yeah it was for the um Akashahid Ali poetry prize so I I submitted the book to I'm, I'm trying to remember I think my final number was 28 Holy different places shit. I mean and I feel like that's a low number compared to some people who who have to stay in the game a little bit longer I'm I'm really surprised that it got picked up in just over a year um I spent $630 on submission fees total in that uh, year and some change. Um, luckily, I I had some savings to draw from, um, and uh, and the the prize itself is going to replenish what I spent. Um, but yeah, it's an expensive game. <laughs> yeah, I, and the- it, it takes a lot of time and and energy um, to, to keep up with it all um, and to keep sending out your work when it keeps not getting picked. But I, I really lucked out time-wise because, you know, if, if I had to keep going at it longer, um, like a, another year or two, like that's hundreds of, of more dollars that I'd have to spend on submission fees. Um, most places that I sent were uh, somewhere between 15 and $30 um, each. Um, and there were, there were a few that were free, but not many. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was a process. It was, it was very strange. And as, as immune as I've gotten to rejections for individual poems, like from literary magazines, it's a whole different feeling when you're sending out like an entire book. Like I, I felt like I was sending out, well, I was sending out four years of my writing life in one go. And so like, I, I hadn't been nervous in submitting in so long. And that, that was just like, wow, I'm, I'm back to the beginning again. Uh, an early 20-something sending out her work for the first time and getting butterflies and being really scared. Yeah. Um, and after a while, I got a little more used to it, but it, it was, it's a whole different feeling from just sending out a couple of poems. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> and I, I feel like it's, like that's something that I, I wish would have been talked a little bit more about in I mean, it wasn't really talked about in undergrad because I don't think anybody in undergrad was really thinking about submitting. Um, and it was touched, 
I feel like maybe a little bit on in my MFA program, but just the idea of like, you know, that the, uh, the concept that you have of you get finished a program, you write a bunch of poems, you put it into it, you make it a book and then, you know, you get published in that sort of quick succession. It's like that. Yeah. No, that's not. In, that's not the way it works out in reality. No, usually. And like in very, very small and infrequent circumstances, does that ha- like, you know, for every, for every ocean Vong, there are like thousands of people that are still trying to find a home for the things that they've written. Um, and, and yes, because be- there are so many of us. And I mean, like there, I mean, so many of us are really good poets too. Yeah. Um, but we're competing with all of these other poets, like hundreds of poets who are, who are doing good work and there are only so many opportunities a right. year. <laughs> and then, and then if you have a, like a guest, um, for like a, a, a like chat book contest or like a, a full length collection poetry prize or whatever, and you have a guest, um, judge for one of those things there's an added level of because all of it is subjective based upon you know like and as as an editor i'm sure that you have experienced this on numerous occasions that like oh yeah based upon what you've read earlier that day could change your relationship to a thing that you like if you had read it at like 11 o'clock in a morning versus at like three o'clock that afternoon it like your relationship with it with it could change and that that could be the thing that is like yeah i'm just not feeling this or if you've read like four poems that are all sort of the same thing and then you find the fifth one that is this other thing you're like oh this kind of stands out um right but if you have a guest judge you know there's that added level of subjectivity of like the the first round readers might curtail their selections to what they think the guest judge might want or you know know sort of like what their aesthetic is and you know so like there's there are all these levels of like who who's gonna whose eyes are gonna be on the on this thing and what is the circumstance that they're encountering this like my collection versus all the all the other stuff that they have to read in a given day Um, right which was again was something that like I wish that would have that's something that would have been broached a little bit more in my program of just like, hey, this is this is the sort of the thing that's that's waiting for you out there. And it's like it's not it might seem insurmountable and it might take you a really fucking long time, but it's like it's doable. It's just it takes a great deal of persistence and like And it's time and it's it's labor. Yeah. Um there's a lot of just like finicky little work that you have to do. And as, as a Taurus with a Virgo rising, like I particularly enjoy those finicky little things and keeping, keeping my submissions organized and, and all of that. Like once, once I know my way around the routine, I really enjoy like the, 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 the work of being a publishing poet of Mm -hmm. sending it out in the world and, and and doing doing all of the the things that 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 goes along with it, um, but it is work. Yeah. Um, and it takes time, and sometimes it takes money, which is really sad. Um, <laughs> and a whole lot of like but, uh, belief and um, 
passion for the things that you were submitting. Right. Yeah. It's like, it, you know, it's yeah. like you, you have to believe in your book or I imagine it's like you had to believe in your book, not only for the four years that you were writing it, but then for the year plus that you were submitting it, it's like, you have to trust. It's like, this is a good thing that deserves to be out there in the world. And, you know, I just, right. ha- well, and, and like you were hinting at, like, it's a different kind of believing in your work, in your, in your book, when it's just your eyes on it, it's just you reading and writing it. Like, that's that's one thing but when you're sending it out in the world then you're starting to like compare it to everyone else um everyone else's work and thinking like oh wow does this i haven't done anything special at all um (laughs) (laughs) and like you just you spent four years on this and you you felt like it really was special yeah but one of the like i i i will always have um, that recurrence of the imposter syndrome. But one of the amazing things about um, the book actually starting to happen is that when other people read it and they they write you a blurb or, um, or they write you a review, like you have something to fall back on when when that wave of um being an imposter comes over you because like look these these awesome people who you respect have said these wonderful things about this work that you're starting to doubt mm-hmm. um so you're you're not allowed to feel those things anymore you have to take that back like you you have you have other people um substantiating the the things that um the the, the feelings of, of pride that you have in your work um, and that it, and the, the feelings that it are so easy to, um, uh, to, to doubt, I guess, or to, to think, Oh yeah, you know, you, you only like it because, because it's your baby. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so has, has being a frequent um, submitter to uh, literary publications and also being the managing editor of a literary publication changed your relationship to either like responding to submissions that you get or responding to sub- like your feelings in response to things that people write to you about your own submissions. I don't know. I don't know if I worded that correctly, but I hopefully that the, the meaning or the questions in there got through no i i know i know what you're what you're saying um so so yeah the being on the editor side of it definitely gives you a lot of um good perspective into what is happening with your own work when you're sending it off to to these different publications and um uh, like when when you get a rejection that says um we enjoyed reading this, but it didn't work for this issue. Please send more work. Um, it's easy when you're not um, when you're not working on the editor side of things to be like, oh, that's just you know standard. They send that out to everybody. Um, no, like the the form <laughs> the form rejection is. Thank you for sending this to us. It doesn't work for us. Best of luck. Right. <laughs> send it to us. Like you don't get you don't get invited to to submit again. They, they they're they, they want to subconsciously hint to send it elsewhere. Right. Um, so like you, you, 
pick up on the um, the language and the, the different um, the the codedness of of the of the responses that that are sent to you. Um, so when you when you do get um, a tiered rejection, you can recognize it. You can be like, oh, and and know that they're not sending that to everybody. They're sending that to um, to people who they they saw something in your work. Mm-hmm. Um, and these particular poems didn't work for them, but they really are genuinely interested in reading what what you might have um, to send them next. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then when you do get the form rejection, you know, <laughs> you um, there there is there is no invitation to to submit again, and you realize, oh, okay, maybe maybe I really am not a fit for this journal. Maybe I I will stop wasting my time there. But you know, that, that's 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 a very personal decision. Like, you can you can certainly choose to to persevere if um, in the face of that, there are so many people who do, and there are so many people who respond to rejections. Um, that has just reinforced my own feeling that I should never, ever do that. Um, I don't know. I, and some people, some people respond to rejections and, and just say, thank you for your time. And you know, that's, that's fine. Like I, it still feels a little weird to me um, because it, it's just a form that I've, I've sent them. So it, it feels weird to, to have a personal response. Um but then there are some people who who just i mean you you know <laughs> there are many ex- examples out there in the world of of people who who have responded badly to rejection and and feel the need to have the the last word yeah. with the editor um when it wasn't a personal decision it right. really wasn't yeah which is which is a um, a difficult thing when you, you know like as an editor you are you're you're at least at this stage like your relationship to this work is not personal it's it's a business almost sort of thing where it's like it's not not business as in like capitalism business but business as in like there's there's a like a professional maybe professional is more is more a, a better way to describe it it's like there's a professional relationship that i have with this thing at this stage yes because i've not like taken it in and have decided that i'm going to like I'm, I will allow it to occupy the space of like, this is a thing that I'm very passionate about or, you know, like has developed to yes. that stage. Um, versus someone who has been sending this work out, who's been living with it, that for them, it's like, this, it's a very personal thing for them to have this work that they've sent out that they, you know, and uh, to varying de- degrees believe in and are passionate about and are, um, you know, like trying to find a home for. Um, so I, I recently did a uh, poets and writers listing for my press um, and mm-hmm. neglected to like, so I'm, the press is, is not technically open to uh, unsolicited manuscripts, but right. I don't know. It's like, it's a, I'm at a stage that it's, I'm small enough and it's sort of loose enough that like, if you have an idea, it's kind of whatever. But within yeah. within maybe the first month or two of having that listing on Poets and Writers, I got a ton of emails from people that are just like, I have this thing. Um, to the point where like, 
I had to go put in like, you know, like open reading is closed. I check back in. There will be a, now there will be a defined time that you can submit things. And then other than that, don't, don't send me anything. Um, yeah. And well, there are some people that don't even look at, at that part of it. They'll just see you're listening and they'll just be like, all right, I'm sending, I'm sending my, um, my pre-written template to you. Um, and they, they might not even update it. Like they just like spam presses. And I, I don't understand that way of doing things. Right. But. And so there's, there's a level of like, part of me can understand it because you're trying to find a home for this thing. And you, like, you want to, it to, to reach as many eyes as it can. But there's another part of me okay. like on, on the side of, of running a press and being an editor. That's like, if you didn't, if you didn't read the thing that I, that I took the time to be like, don't send me, because even regardless, even before that, like my, the line in, in the, the submission thing was like, if you have something that you think would fit with the press, send me an email, don't send me a manuscript, like send me an email and we can begin, like we can begin the discussion to see if whatever it is that you have might work for the press. And that, and, and what you said about, um, if you think it will fit with this press, that is so important. Like yeah. as a writer, like, I, I feel very protective of my work and I don't want it to just go to any, any press. press. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm very selective of the places that I, I am sending my work to. Like when I was doing my research for what presses I wanted to, to send my, my book to for consideration, I even looked at the, the books that they had put out and was like, do I like those covers? Um, does that look like a well-made book if I could see beyond like just a cover image? Mm-hmm. Um, and am I going to trust them to, to, you know, handle the production of my, my book in a way that I'm going to be proud of? Um, right. Because it's not like, why am I wasting my time and their time and also probably my money on a submission fee? <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Which I, I wonder, I wonder if, if we're in relatively unique positions that because we're on the other side of it too like we yeah. we know what the work that goes into it and we know i don't know like the sort of editorial i don't know like aesthetic that's happening but yeah it, i it's it's a really weird position to be in where someone will like the the one of the first things that are one of the first in the in the round of like the first handful of emails that i got about stuff there was somebody that sent me i think the subject was like like manuscript for consideration or something there was no body it was just like the manuscript just an attached file. yeah and i'm like this is the ex- this i was like dude this is the exact opposite of like <laughs> and i'm i'm at i'm in, at a stage right now that i'm not sure like how brusque to be with people who send stuff like that because like right I'm I'm grateful and I'm you know appreciative that people see something in the press hopefully that resonates with them to the point where they think like oh this could be a home for my thing and it's not just a wide spam but for things that feel like it's just a wide spam I kind of want to write back that like like don't send me any anything else cuz it's like you're not following my guidelines I don't like if right. you, if you can't if you can't give like do the the least amount of work to see what it is that I'm actually asking for. Or now if I'm even open for submissions, like if like I, what makes you think that like, I feel like I should reflect that level of care to your work. It's like, 
I don't want right. to read. I don't want to read this this now because, like, you can't follow. Like, this is this is the first interaction. This is like the cover of a book. This is my first interaction with you, yes. and like you blew it. You blew it. You and it's about showing respect. Yeah. Um. If if this writer is asking this editor, this publisher for respect, um, then they need to show the editor and publisher the respect of, of actually um, putting a little effort into it. Yeah. I don't know. I, my, um, my default, that, yeah. that's, that's my, about me. my default right now is, is the sort of like, you know, Hey, thanks for reaching out. Um, and if it's a, like, if they've sent me a manuscript, it'd be like, Hey, thanks for reaching out. Reading like open, open submissions are closed. They will be back open sometime in the summer. I encourage you to like check back in and you know send it in again. Um, and I, I'm I'm hoping that those instances happen infrequent enough that it won't like that the tendency will not be to become more and more curmudgeonly in the face right. <laughs> in the face of that and still still be open and appreciative and encouraging to people and not just be like you fucked up like why don't no stop it just don't yeah well and like like you said like being a writer as well um you also have the the understanding that writers aren't perfect we fuck up too right like i've i've seen people who have um in their cover letter forgotten to sub out the the name of the last publication they sent to um for for mine and i'm like you know what I have to forgive you for that because I have definitely done that before and felt like an idiot. And yeah. you know what? It's a big deal because we're not paying that close attention to the cover letter anyway. Um, and another thing um, that I was thinking about was um, when it comes to form rejections, there are so many writers who assume that a form rejection means like we didn't care about your work enough to read it. Right. Um, which isn't true. Like I've, I, like I've had people respond to a form rejection, like they, they were insulted because they just assumed that we didn't read it. And I have to, I have to tell them, like, I, like, I, I can't just let that pass. Like I have to make sure they know, like, no, like we, at least two people have read this submission Right. for every submission that comes in, even if it goes almost almost immediately to the rejection pile, it has been read by two people. It, it has been read um, deeply by the, the screener, who is a student who has been um, through a literary editing and publishing class, has been taught um, how to try to read a work um, as objectively as possible, to use a rubric to look for, even if it doesn't appeal to your personal aesthetic, um, like what what are the objectively good things that that uh, a piece of writing needs to do um and if it hits some of those then it'll then it'll uh stay in the mix and it'll go up to a senior reader um because like the, the final call is is by the the editor of the genre and they have very specific tastes um that this that the screeners might not share so right. we so, um, so they've they've been taught to to read in a way that isn't like just to their personal taste. Right. And even even then, um, once once it gets the downvote, it goes to my pile, and I 
I am paranoid about letting something really good slip through the cracks. So I, I read the comments of, um, of the last reader. And then I, I read at least the first uh, poem or two or the first page of prose to make sure that I, I agree with right. what the screener has said. Um, but if I don't, I will continue reading. Um, and there are some that I have saved from, from the rejection pile. Um, and then, but most, most of the time, most of the time the screeners are, are correct. Um, and we end up sending out, um, a form rejection, but even, even in that case, like your, your work has been deeply considered. Yeah. And it's just that, it's just that because of the, the volume of the work that you get and the amount of other things you have to do, you just, you can't do a super personalized. I can't write a personal letter every time. And I can't, I don't have time to give feedback that is right. so that is so much labor to to give personal feedback on every single submission right. that we get like even a couple of those would would wear me out yeah and it's and again like on on the on the writer or on the submitter side like you want to know you want like there's that that degree right. of like oh was well, there something that i that i could do to change this or you know like are there any suggestions that you have that can make this stronger? And it's like, yes, I could give these to you, but like, that's not really the role. And I can't give that to everybody. Right. Like, like you're, you're not just asking me to do this one time. You're asking me to do this for everyone a thousand times, yeah. 2000 times. Um, because if I'm willing to do this for you, I have to be willing to do it for every submitter. Right. Um, because, because that, that's the way it works. Yeah. And like, um, there's for, it's so uh, the first, I guess, like seven books that I did with my press, they were very much like I knew people that I wanted to work with, mostly friends from my program. I was like, do you have a collection? Do you have like a like 15 poems that you want to publish or things that you something you've been working on that you don't know where to find a, a home for? Um, yeah. So it was a very interesting experience when I did the poets and writers listing and got you know, a bunch of people emailing me about things and then emailing me sub- submissions to be in the place suddenly of like, oh, I'm going to have to reject people. <laughs> right. Um, and, and the level of like, because I, I have I have more or less a sort of like form response um, yeah. that is with within that, I try to build in a level of like, you know, I've, I've spent... Of you know a chunk of time with your work, I've enjoyed my readings of it. You know, in parentheses, like especially this poem or the story, and like be honest and be truthful. It's like if there was something that stood out in that to me, it's like I really enjoyed this. And then something along the lines of like, but I unfortunately or I ultimately feel like the press is not a good fit for the piece you know, and then thank mm-hmm. them for submitting. And then, you know, if you have things in the future, keep me in mind or whatever, but yes. just that level of like keeping it to, that's like this, I would say this to any and everyone that submitted something to the press that I didn't feel was a, that I didn't feel like the press was a good fit for the work. Um, but it's also a, like for some, for some pieces that are maybe the, like, there's not a whole lot of things that I could talk about that I really enjoyed from the, from it. It's like, 
I can I still have that sort of that basis that groundwork of like, you know, this it's I want it to be as soft as as a rejection as possible because, you know, yeah. like as you know as as a submitter of things, it's like it takes because a lot. Because we care of, about people's feelings, right? Because those are our feelings too. Right. Yeah, and it's like it takes. <laughs> there's a lot of like vulnerability and and. Um, like humility that it takes to submit a thing to a place and to be, you know, to be waiting and hopeful of, of a response. Um, yes. And like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want anyone upon reading my rejection email to feel like it's like a, a volleyball spike down in the sand. I want it to be, I want yeah. it to feel like, cause it's ultimately that like my, at least like now, and I'm, I hope that this is, this is something that I will I will attempt to maintain throughout the entirety of the time that I work on my press. That like my sort of like bottom line for if there's something that I'm going to reject or not is does it feel like the like the press and this work are a good mesh with each other? Because there's like there is an aesthetic and there's sort of a, a vibe that I'm going for with my press. And like I don't want to it's not a a pronouncement of is this work good or not it's is this it's not a value judgment right it's just like does it fit and you know if the answer is no then it i feel like that alleviates the sort of like the pressure on the author that they did something wrong it's more of a like not like dating <laughs> yeah it's like it, and i feel like it's it's a sort of like the cliche it's like oh it's not you it's me sort of a thing but it is in that sense yeah. it's like you know it's not it's not that you did anything wrong it's not that your writing is bad it's just that i don't feel like it like the the sort of connection isn't there yeah There's it's not like that the container that i would make for this because you are building a relationship with that work and right. and, and that writer via your press so yeah there has to be more than just there has to be more than just oh th th there was a good poem it, it needs to be like yeah there, there there needs to be a meshing there needs to be yeah. a a sincere connection um that that will be beneficial for both the the work and the press yeah and it's 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 weird to be in, in the in the position of the sort of like, I know it when I see it or like I know it when I, I feel it because I feel like there should yeah. be a more quantifiable rubric to that, something more so than just like, yeah, I'm feeling this versus, you know, like, yeah, I'm not feeling it. But, um, And you can set up a rubric, like you can have like, these are these are the things that it needs to check off. But even if it checks off those things, it's still there, there's still something else that it needs to there needs to be that chemistry between press and work yeah that yeah um, it's like it i feel like it's not yeah it's like i i feel like kind of like what you were saying earlier about your like your intuitive um like the the intuitive process of 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 constructing a poem um, yeah that it ultimately is that sort of intuitive like gut feeling of is this something that that I want to spend, or is this something that will, that like I could spend, you know, months working on. Um, and right. so far all of the rejections that I've sent out, if, if people have responded, it has been a, it has been positive. That's like, you know, I appreciate your time. Thank you for giving it a shot. You know, 
and leaving yeah. it at that. Which until until you mentioned that 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 feels that that's a, a weird thing for you to get in response. It's something that I never really. I think that because most of the submissions start off with like somebody emailing me and be like, Hey, I have this idea for a project. You know, would you, there's, there's that relationship that is sort of built up that like it, it, I'm, I don't know. There are some people that just like the rejection happens and it's like, okay, you know, I don't get anything back from them. I'm like, you know, okay, fair enough. And the other people that are like, you know, because we've sent like six emails back and forth to each other, there is, there's that level of like, yeah. yeah. I get that. See, see, I think in working through submittable or another um, mm. submission management system, it's like another layer of removal. Yeah. Because um, it's not, it's not this writer has something has sent something directly to me. They've sent something to my publication, and I have sent them a form response, right. which the understanding is they will recognize it as a form response, right. like. The, the one of the the main um, settings of uh, of uh, of submittable is that like you can set up these templates that will fill in the information um, and and send either an acceptance or a rejection um, to whoever um, whoever you are are messaging. Um, so I guess as on the on the editor side of it, I it feels so automated to me to a point like after right. after we spent time with the work after after the decision is made the response system is automated oh, yeah. so it, it feels it feels like they're responding to a uh i know they're responding to me but it feels like they're responding to a computer right yeah it'd be like if you had a like a self-checkout at a grocery store and the thing the self-checkout right. machine says something to you and you respond to it. Yeah. But I, yeah, thinking yeah. of like, and I guess in, in my press's instance, like people submit like to, to the press's email address, but like, it's just me right. working on the press. So there is a, they are interacting with me versus, with you. right. Yeah. Versus uh, going through submittable, which in, in that regard is like, it's not, it's even though you are, you have crafted the form, it's not an email coming directly from you. It's like an email coming from the publication itself is like as a, exactly as a sort of pseudo entity. That is the thing that is responding to this person. Not a like, Hey, I'm the managing, managing editor. Your stuff didn't get in. Sorry. And then yeah. you like dive back into the publication. <laughs> well, and it's also like on the, the writer side of it, I, I've responded to encouraging rejections before, basically just saying, thank you so much. I appreciate um, your words. Um, but if I know that it's a form rejection, I would feel weird responding. Like, yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm taking up more of the editor's time by responding when they've told me that they're not interested. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm fine with them having the last word. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's just a personal thing for, for me. Um um, but yeah, so, <laughs> um, okay. So I think, I feel like we're kind of maybe in the stage of winding down. So I will ask you the two traditional last questions that I ask my guests. Um, the first one is if you have the vocabulary for it, what is your internal landscape like? Uh, 
That is a good question. Thank and you. I saw it on the list <laughs> and I started to think about it. And then I was like, yeah. Um, I think it's, it's definitely green. Ooh. Um, I think there's, there's a lot of, yeah, there, there's a lot of plant life and overcast skies. Ooh, that's actually one of my favorite color combinations. Very nice. <laughs> I would just say that you have good taste. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so is it is it vegetation that is tied to a particular landscape, or is it a sort of like pastiche of vegetation or uh, flora that has I don't know, like more or less like personal meanings to you? Like, is it, is it more of a, like, this is a, this is a vista or like a landscape that is overclassed and that you can like a forest clearing or whatever that you can walk into, or is it just like I've assembled like a hydrangea and like in a sycamore tree. And then there's maybe a palm tree or something hanging out in the back. If I, if I had to like really zoom in, I think it would probably be, um, the, the woods where I grew up and where my brother and I, uh, I played a lot um, in the summer, particularly. Um, so there's a lot of brown there too. Um, but there are no ticks. That's the one thing I would remove. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's, there is a path that goes through it. That's been kind of worn down by, uh, neighbors four wheelers um and there's this stream that runs through and then there's some interesting there there are some like piles of junk like <laughs> the back end of it where people have just like dumped like an old car or something but um so in this but for them it's wild okay so are you so in 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 envisioning this this internal landscape is do you feel like you are the landscape or do you feel like it is a space that you can enter into as a sort of like avatar or individual or does it does it shift i think it's more a space that i enter into okay yeah Yeah, there are definitely, there are May apples there. We had a lot of those Ooh. growing up. And Jack in the pulpits. A lot of weird little uh, uh, ground vegetation that is, that's in the, the woods around here. Um, but that really fascinated me when I was a kid. I, I have a deep fascination for wild plants, wild flowers, um, and like it goes beyond like just the plant as it is like the the names that um that we have for them are are really fascinating to me um there might be a chapbook in that oh well that it definitely it definitely goes into uh the book there's there's a <laughs> lot of that in in the book and i i think it's going to continue into to future projects too it's it runs pretty deep <laughs> so are you this this will be my last question about the landscape. Is it is it a space that is populated only when you are in there, or are there other like maybe not directly encounterable, but do you get the sense that there are, are other 
entities or uh, individuals that are moving around in this landscape um, when you were either there or not there yourself? Not other people. Um, okay. But um, definitely like but yeah. life. So like traditional yes. traditional woods uh, fauna popping yes. around. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, they are they are part of the landscape. Hmm. Do you, aside from potentially the um, the interest in in the like local um, like wildflower and stuff, do you feel like this landscape has influenced aspects of your poetry, or do you like can you can you see influences of it in aspects of your life, or do you think that it is very much just like an internal space? that coincides with the other sort of internal spaces that you have? And that'll be my last question about this, I promise. <laughs> um, it's, it's definitely, I, I feel like it is, um, it's definitely a, a starting place for most of my, my poems. Like that's kind of where, where I am emotionally when I'm I'm working on a poem it's a nice contemplative space um and a lot of the atmosphere ends up in the poems I think I think it's like part of the I try to imbue it into the voice of of the poem um I I feel like part of my identity as a poet is um this whole uh post-pastoral aspect where it's like it's natural world but it's it's not um it it's not focusing on like the traditional beauty of mm -hmm. the natural world it's it's focusing on um the weirdnesses and the decay and how those things are beautiful um in just just as they are not they don't they don't need to be transformed in any way to be beautiful they right, yeah. they just are beautiful in in their in their strangeness mm. um, and I that that's something that I that I want all of all of my poems to kind of revolve around cool so so the internal space is, is essentially like a grounding source for you yes very cool and that's not something I, I would have realized if you hadn't asked me that question. <laughs> well, it's something that, like, as in sort of a, a byproduct of a, the ending of a, um, my first major relationship um, in my 20s, <clears throat> I sort of, like, fell into the realization of what my own internal space was. And, yeah. um, or my own internal landscape. And it wasn't until maybe like six or seven episodes deep that it just sort of came up when I was talking to one of my guests and I was like, Oh shit, this is a question I need to ask everybody because hers was, yes. hers was like a, like an alien planet that was populated by different entities that were all sort of like voices that appeared that either appeared in or influenced the things that she wrote. And I was like, this is wild to me because mine is similar to yours where it, well, Similar in, in that it's a, it's a, like a naturalistic space 
Um, so mine or my internal landscape is like the like South Dakota prairies or like Badlands, where it's just like nothing, some scrub trees yeah. and maybe a hill or two, but just nothing. Um, yeah. But thinking that like my own internal landscape is, it's either like it's either I'm the landscape or I'm walking through the landscape or I'm watching myself as like an avatar pass through the space. Right. But I am the only thing that exists there. There might be a bird, right. but there's no other life. And to, to, to encounter someone else whose landscape is not only like an, an entire alien world, but is but populated. It's populated. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> this, is, this is untenable for me. So that's, that's the reason that I started asking um, other people of just, this is, this is one of the, I think the things that I'm most preoccupied by is, is, what, is what does that look like? And because for me, it's like, I know that my internal landscape has, I can see its influence in most things across my life. Um, mm -hmm. And I can definitely feel its, its input and its influence in my poetry very, very clearly. Um, so just like thinking about like, is, is it a, like for yours, like, is it a space that you step into as the sort of centering thing that this is the, this is the, like the, um, ground zero for poetry. It's like, this is the, this is the contemplative internal space that I want to be in, or this is the state that I want to be in that gets me primed and ready to like explore out into these things. Right. Um, which I, it's, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking, I just now, as you were, as you were talking about yours, was thinking of maybe doing um, at some point like an anthology of internal landscape and getting people to like yeah. write in and either write something like a personal essay about their landscape or write a, like a poem or oh, something that is the embodiment of that thing just because like, I think that would be cool. That would be, that would be really interesting. I, I would read that. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to sit on that. Okay. So the yes. <laughs> the last question is: Is there something you want to ask me? Anything like no no subject is barred. Anything anything that you feel like asking. What are you working on right now in your poetry? Um. So there, I have. I have sort of like three separate projects that are all sort of kicking at the same time. One of which I just mm -hmm. finished that I'm in uh, revision mode for, which I'm, I'm grateful for. Congratulations. Now I can... Thank you. Um, <laughs> are you familiar with uh, the McElroy brothers and their, their litany of podcasts? No, I am not. Okay. So there's a, there's a group of three brothers that do a whole host of podcasts, but um, there's one that is, is set up as like an advice show called My Brother, My Brother and Me. <laughs> really just an avenue for them to do like goofs and bits and just like hang out and joke around with each other. But um, every year they like in sometime in late December, they come up with a theme for like the following year. Um, okay. So uh, for 2019, it is uh, 20 Frankenteen and the tagline is <laughs> become the monster. Um, and I like it. <laughs> in 2018, it was... Um, uh, collaborate team stronger together or something like that. Um, so I, there's a, a friend that I met at a residency that we wanted to do a collaborate team thing together. Um, mm -hmm. so we decided to, we would each, so she's like a, um, 
paper visual artist. Um, awesome. So we decided to do, we would each come up with six, th like I would write six poems. She would do like six visual paper things. Um, we would send those to each other and then respond to them and then mm -hmm. make a book out of uh, like their original work and our response and then send that back to the person. Um, yeah. So I, uh, within the last like two weeks, finished the last two response poems to her work, um, which I'm grateful for because now I can focus on the other two things. Um, so <laughs> now I'm, I'm revising those, but those are all done. Um, and I, I mentioned this earlier in the, in the recording, but I'm, um, so, okay. So the other project I went to, um, the Vermont studio center residency in Johnson, Vermont, and uh, did a poem a day for a month. So I have those poems done, but I need to revise them and figure out like if there's yeah. a press that wants to publish a month month's worth of poems about a small town in Vermont. Um, <laughs> but the the project that I'm actively working on is, um, and I mentioned this earlier in, in the the podcast that it's a it's a series of bird poems that aren't really about birds. So all the poems are titled a particular bird. I like that. Um, <laughs> and each, but the, like the content of the poem is a sort of an exploration of like loosely sort of sexuality, but primarily the exploration of like what it means or what it, just the art, I guess the exploration of being, um, a gender in a male gendered body in the sort of like mm -hmm. the mo the places that integration can happen and the places that like disconnect happen. And what is it, you know, what does it mean to be yeah. a gender and to be in this space and to be like red and to present more or less as like a cis white dude and like what, what that means for me in that space. And, um, and trying to, so like the, the, the bird titles, I want to be sort of emotional echoes of the poem. So it's like when I, when I think about this bird, what it is, that, what do I feel? And then writing a poem, dealing with that sort of, like that subject, but in the feeling of this bird. Um, yeah. So I have, I have like, I have a whole bunch that I need to revise and I have two more that I think I need to write and then that will be done. Um, which is just a weird being in that space was a weird, it was a very strange thing to be thinking about like spending, I don't know, like three or four months thinking about birds and like being a gender <laughs> in my body and being like, I don't, I don't know what the hell I'm doing right now. And then like, <laughs> finding earlier poems that I'd written that were maybe sort of gearing up before the, the actual, so like similar to, um, I think similar to your book that I have a, I have the project and the sort of idea in mind and I'm writing mm -hmm. poems to sort of in support of that project and that idea. Um, yeah. but I have found like three or four that I, that I've written, before I started earnestly writing this, this selection that, or this, this, these, this project that I think I can tweak to be a part of it. Um, so mm -hmm. now they are, they've all been given bird titles. Um, 
and all more or less are going to be sort of like tried to fit into this into this space. But um, I'm actually hoping to get that done by the end of this month because there are a couple of like chapbook contests and presses that are open to submission. And I'm like, I should probably send this out now. Um, yeah, it's weird when when that when those external deadlines start entering the the writing space. Um, but they inevitably do. Yeah. <laughs> well, because like I, I've been out of the the game of submitting stuff. Just like that, I never really wanted to submit individual poems because kind of what we were talking about earlier is that when I write, I tend to write in bursts of like groups that all sort of they are, go together. Yeah, that like I don't. I don't know if I want people to encounter this poem sort of on its own out in the wild. Like, I feel like it, yeah. it wants to be grouped with these other things, but right. I don't know. So I've, I've been out of the, the submission game for a long, long time and I'm trying to, to not be out of it anymore because yeah. I want to be more in communication and sort of in the, the conversation of, you know, like the literary world because I'm a part of it. Um, but I don't know. Like it's, I'm, I'm grateful that there are as many opportunities to do like chapbook projects out there, but mm -hmm. because I tend to write in that way, but it's also sort of like, like you said, the external deadlines are, it's you like, you don't think about it. And then they're all sort of there. And they're like, I have like three months worth of work that I have to get done in like a two weeks. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then you don't want it. You, you don't want to feel like you're pushing it out the door before it's ready. Right. Um, but yeah, there, these opportunities are not just waiting for when you're ready. So right. you, you have to. Yeah. And there's, there's a, a friend in my writing group that's been um, submitting a, a full length collection he's been working on that he keeps like tweaking with after he submits. And yeah. that's a totally foreign idea to me. That's like, I want this thing to be, like done and finished and then sent out and yeah. not have to, I mean, yes. inevitably I know that there will be tweaks. I'm the same. I, I can't like, I, I don't want someone to look at it if I don't feel like it's done. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. That. So do you, do you envision a, a cover for um, this bird and gender project? Like a book cover? No, I have not. I've not gotten there yet. Um, I think that an idea for something like that will probably happen once I get it organized. Because it's not like yeah, it's not even in any sort. I know, I know the, I know the first poem. I know well, I know the first poem in the first section, the first poem in the second section, and maybe the last three in the second section. But then, sort of like overall, the last the last ones. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I, it's like, I still have the, I feel like I can't, I don't want to think about that until I get the last two written because the last two yeah. completely alter the, how the rest of yeah. it. Um, but no, I don't, there hasn't been, there hasn't been a sort of like unifying feeling or image that I've gotten from them yet for the, the cover. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's usually like, 
even when I lay out books for my press, like cover is usually one of the last things that I deal with just because like, that's really interesting. Yeah. Did you, did you have an idea for your cover before? Um, um yeah, not I guess like when, when you were one. submitting, okay. I had, I had various ideas and I wasn't really sold on any one of them. Um, but I love what the press came up with, um, especially because I was kind of, I, I was thinking about, because I have visual pieces inside as well, visual mm. poems, I didn't, I, I was worried about the style of the art on the cover um, going with the visual poems, or at least not clashing with and creating some sort of disconnect mm -hmm. um but i didn't want any i didn't want one of the visual poems to be the cover like i that's not something i wanted um i wanted them i wanted them each to be just a poem in the book but um what the, the cover designer whose name i st i still need to ask about um because <laughs> i would like to know that um what they came up with is so my my visual poems are like mixed media collage. Um, what they did is they took pieces from um, two of the different visual poems and recombined them in a new way on, to make the cover. And I just I really love what they did, and I feel like it it really encapsulates um, the general feeling of of the book. Um, so. I'm, and it's it's not something I would have imagined. Um, that was but, actually that was going to be my question: is that do you was it something that you think that you ever could have gotten with had you sat with it long enough, or is it something that like you never in your wildest dreams would have thought that that was the thing that would work for the cover? That yeah, I I never I never would have thought of hey you know you don't you, you don't want one of these for the cover, but just take a few pieces and put <laughs> them together, um, which is which is funny because I feel like that's also kind of my poetic style is is collage like, um, just taking taking pieces of various things that interest me and trying to mesh them together in 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 certain ways. Um, I couldn't think of any 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 more articulate way to say that, um, but. Yeah, they, that, and that's that's another reason, like to be, to be really picky about where you're sending your work because, you you want to be able to trust them with something like that. Like, if I didn't like my cover, I I feel queasy all the time. I'd hate it. Like I, I've spent so long on on this work and it means so much to me. And I, having it be visually pleasing as an object is super important to me. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like, I feel like I really lucked out in my press. Um, they're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think, I think that that's probably going to do it. Um, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, Lindsay, for spending like two and a half hours talking to me about poetry. Yeah, of course. Um, thank you, Michael. This was really great. It was a fun conversation. I'm glad that we finally got, <laughs> 
get a chance to do this. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have uh, any parting words for uh, the listeners? Um, if, if you don't read a lot of poetry, um, you should. <laughs> um, I, I, right now I am reading, um, Brute by Emily Skaja, S-K-A-J-A, um, just came out by, from Grey Wolf Press, um, Kill Class by Nomi Stone, and Chaos Theories by Elizabeth Hazen, um, and I would recommend all three of them. They're all wonderful. Um, Brute is particularly amazing so far. Um, Yeah. Read poetry. Yeah. (laughs) Whenever, whenever listeners, you finish this podcast or even, I mean, there's no way that you could hear this in the middle of the podcast, but um, before you do anything else, (laughs) go read a poem, go, go to poetry.org and just, or download the poetry.org app and do the, like the roulette thing and just spin it and find a poem and read it. Yeah. And there's verse daily and, um, poets.org does, uh, a new poem every day. Um, I think Maggie Smith is curating that right now and she's picked some really great poems so far. So yeah, they're out there. Have other people, have other people who know, pick them for you because they're doing, they're, they do a great job. Have other, <laughs> have other people read you a poem. Oh yes. That, that is really nice. It's story time for adults. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. All right. Well, I will. I will talk to you all next time.